Hi, I'm Ellen, and here we go again. Hi, I'm Jaslyn. I'm not really sure what chikatita means, but I feel like it reminds me of chips, which means like chipatita. But then what's chipatita? Okay. (laughs) 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 My God, no, I love it. You're good. Jaslyn, talk about setting a high standard. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I've had the official soundtrack version of Angel Eyes stuck in my head for six weeks solid. And I've had Ed Sheeran all week. And this is... High High Expectations! Expectations. This is a special episode, because for several episodes now, we reference this person that you've never heard. Met. Met. (laughs) Seen. Wait. That one's wrong. Or know anything about. You never seen us either. We're here today to talk about Mamma Mia 2 and 1. Maybe in that order? I guess you could say this is musicals on trial 2. Here we go again. (laughs) When did you first watch Mamma Mia, Sarah? The first one? I saw it in the cinema when it came out. Me too! Before I saw it in the cinema, I'd seen the stage version in London. Oh, I've never seen the stage version. It's good. They've changed a few things in the film. Oh, like what? From memory, they've got a scene at the end of the first act where they do, I think it's the name of the game. And it's sort of Sophie talking to Bill. And it's sort of a long drawn out heavy implication that he is the biological father. Oh. You know, like in the movie where he like goes down by the rocks and they've like left the party. Mm-hmm. And it's this sort of look on his face and he goes, oh. Yeah, after he goes, oh, but I thought my aunt left money to family. And then does that really OTT, shit, reaction and turns around and legs it and she follows him and they're down by the rocks. In the stage version, that's the name of the game. And that's your sort of segue into the interval. And I think that song they do on the boat, Our Last Summer, and the stage musical, that's just mm-hmm. Harry Bright. And it's like the bonding moment between him and Sophie, just the two of them. Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah. The ch- I think the changes they make in the film are largely for the better. I think also I read somewhere that the chances of Harry being the biological father are slim. Is Harry Colin Firth? Yes. Because in Mamma Mia 2, they sleep together once. Whereas Bill especially, they must sleep together a bunch. And then what's um fucking... Pierce Brosnan? Pierce Brosnan's name in the movie. Sam. Sam, yeah. Sam Carmichael. That's... The- <laughs> that first blood to me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think the chances of him being the biological father are uh, greater but it's probably bill then i don't know i didn't know that i didn't know that i've learned something new there you go so if you're sitting here wondering what the hell is mamma mia what are they talking about mamma mia and mamma mia here we go again what sort of people haven't heard of mamma mia and mamma mia here we go again Do, do we have listeners that just live in a bunker if so, can you communicate with us? Why are you in a bunker? Was it by choice? Has somebody forced you to be in there? If they've forced you to be in there, can we rescue you? Can we record rescuing you? Would you like that? Is Brendan Fraser in there? I'm just imagining the, like, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. That's what I'm imagining your lives are. If you're in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, <laughs> you don't know what Mamma Mia is. It is a musical stage show slash movie that they pretty much only communicate in ABBA songs. Yeah, it's what's called a jukebox musical. And it means like they use an existing artist's songs and then create a story around it. From what I understand from my single viewing, both movies are set in Greece. Correct. And they're about a mother and a daughter trying to figure out 
who the daughter's father is. Yes, and it's of three possible people because there's this one summer where she banged three dudes. She's a no. Which one the dad is? And the three dudes are Pierce Brosnan, Sam, Carmichael, <laughs> Colin Firth, Harry, Headbanger, Headbanger Harry, yeah, Harry Bright, and <laughs> I love how much you love this movie. And, and the other guy, Bill Anderson. Bill Anderson. Oh my god! Who's played by her? Stellan Skarsgård. Mamma Mia came out in 2008. Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, 2018. Yeah. Ten years difference. Yep. Are they set ten years apart? No. But that's like a whole other conversation. <laughs> Mamma Mia maths is like completely off. Everyone's meant to be ten years younger than they actually are. Except Cher, who is well. <laughs> quite a bit older. <laughs> because she's only four years older than... Or maybe three? Three or four years older than Meryl Streep, who she's supposed to be the mother of. Right. Sophie's meant to be... Okay, so the reason why we know Mamma Mia 2 is set five years is because I think Sophie's meant to be 20 in the first movie. And then Shia comes in and then she says, I want to be a good grandmother. And then Sophie says, you're 25 years too late, meaning that she's 25 years old. But we know in reality it's been 10 years since the first movie. Mm. But apparently it's five. There's a lot of messed up stuff. Okay. Like, also in the first movie, it's heavily implied that their last summer, or, like, when Donna was hooking up with all these dudes, was in the 60s. But in the moment, here we go again, it's late 70s. But in fairness, the continuity between the two movies is not great. And that's one of the things that really bugged me about seeing the sort of younger versions. (laughs) Which are are not like Pierce Brosnan with a horrible beard. (laughs) (laughs) Arguably, shouldn't they be uh, good continuity? Like, they should be the experts in their own source material, so... Well, yeah, by the time you're doing the flashback after you've done, like, the version of the future, you've really got no excuse for not knowing how it's meant to be, surely. Yeah, yeah. So is Mamma Mia 2 set in the future, but heavily flashback? Or yes. That... Oh, it's, it goes between the two. Right. So, do we do spoilers or no spoilers? I think spoilers. Because the biggest spoiler is that Meryl Streep's character, who's the main character in Mamma Mia 1, Donna, has died. We don't know how. Oh. And Sophie is helping the renovations of the hotel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so it's going between modern day, whenever the fuck that is, <laughs> and this opening party they're going to have for the refurbishment of the hotel. Um, and back to Donna's summer when she first moved to Greece and how that all went down and how she met the three possible fathers. So Meryl Streep is played by... The young Meryl Streep is played by Lily James. Yeah. Who is just awesome and you can p- completely see that sort of... Yeah, I get you as young Meryl. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, she has the same okay. spirit. Yeah. Yeah. But then the young Harry, Sam and Bill are nothing like because in the first movie there's a section <laughs> where they're showing photos of them of their younger selves yeah, to yeah. Sophie hence yeah. Pierce with the horrible beard and Stellan with he, he looks kind of hippie-ish as well yeah 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 and yeah. then the best one is Colin Firth as like this young Sid Vicious punk type thing with which a hint would, of eyeliner which <laughs> would set it like 70s right yeah yeah but then mm. the other two look very 60s and like arguably hippie culture went over into the 70s so they could still be dressing that way, but the whole like long-haired hippie thing—surely that would be outdated fashion-wise by the time. Well, in fairness, though, Pierce Brosnan, Sam, has been supposedly in love with the same woman for twenty years, so he's clearly not great at like letting things go. <laughs> so you can imagine him saying, "God, this whole beard really suits me. I'm just going to keep it." 
that's true. Can I offer an analogy for these movies? No. I'm not interested in anything you have to say about them, but you're here anyway for some reason. What is it? Alex, what I would like to offer to the discussion is that the Mamma Mia films are more about the songs than the plot, just as a porno film is more about the sex than the plot. Do you agree? I'd say, as analogies go, by the time you compare anything to a porno film, that's not a great start. (laughs) I think... (laughs) I mean, I don't agree at all, because I think the plot is what makes Mamma Mia special. I think... I think it's what makes it enjoyable for me, not just the songs and dancing. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, from my point of view, I think... Jasmine, I know you're not a fan of musicals. Really? Yeah, I I don't know how I've dated you for this long and sort of only picked this up through subtle hints. (laughs) (laughs) But... I do like musicals, but I'm not normally a fan, a huge fan of jukebox musicals. Yeah, because they can you're be just kind of a hot mess. Refashioning like existing songs. I mean, they're great fun. Mm-hmm. I think they're best thought of as like it's sort of some really fast and loose cover band where you get a comfortable seat and you get an ice cream in the interval. In terms of emotional heft and story, they're usually a bit shit. Yes. Whereas this one, I love, and I don't know if it's because the ABBA music pulls it along. But then the music of Queen is amazing, and We Will Lock You is... I've never seen that one. It's fun. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it's not the sort of thing that you can build a two-movie franchise on. Yeah. And I feel the same way about Across the Universe. Like, I liked it when it first came out, but now when I think back, I'm like, oh, they were just trying to paste things together, I feel, to make it, to move it. And they have so much more songs to work with as well, I Mm. feel. No, the Beatles back catalogue must be larger than Abba's, especially like their main hits, right? There's a lot more recognisable Beatles songs, maybe? I would assume so. Yeah, so they had a lot of content to work with, but like that one doesn't really work. Whereas, so for example, I have like another musical. This one is in Jukebox. Last night I went down a hole of like bad teen movies and like uh, YouTube commentary on it. And there's like a whole thing on YouTube where like, fully grown adults, much like podcasts, will go back and revisit movies and then, like, comment on them, like, teen movies. And I get really tied up in this stuff because I like wasting time, apparently. (laughs) And this is one guy, and he does little animations. He's like a little animated dog. And he watched all three of the high school musical movies and, like, reflected back on them. And it was pretty insightful, actually, because High School Musical was a big deal when I was at high school, so everybody was playing the soundtrack, etc., He said, like, I think the problem with High School Musical is it's so much about the songs and not about plot. Like, the plot is very fast and loose. It's not really something you can invest any emotional energy in. And there's just, like, they burst into song all the time. More more songs than you actually have. Not songs, basically. And that's not a good musical. Have you ever seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? It's a TV series where she... Yeah, it's a musical TV series. It's a comedy not saying it, but go on. It's great. But um, the creator of it, I think her name is Rachel Bloom. Sorry if that's wrong. <laughs> her character name's really close to her actual name, so it's easy to get them mixed up. But she said that the music in musicals is good if they have emotionally earned it, right? So if, it, if they just start singing because it is a musical or just because or like whatever reason, we don't buy it. Like somebody burst into song because they have that emotional moment. And I think there's so many emotions going on in Mamma Mia because, and they're relatable as well, like, especially like not knowing who your biological father is, being terrified of getting married, having all this stuff dredged up from the past. Like, those are all emotionally rewarding moments in which you would 
express yourself through song, you know, and the universe that is a musical. Yeah, and I think what makes Mamma Mia work is that the songs aren't sort of songs for the sake of it, but the songs work to move the story along. Yes, yeah. And also Mm. I think ABBA lends itself so well to this type of musical because they're all songs about love and heartache. And then it makes you really realise how, yeah, great ABBA's songs are in terms of like just being really gritty heartache songs. You were saying that, right? Like, knowing yeah, the, yeah. knowing you, knowing... What was it? Knowing me, you. Knowing, knowing me, knowing you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Knowing you, knowing me. Yeah. Which way I know that. <laughs> I, yeah, I was saying to Alan the other week that I used to hear that song when I was little, and I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of catchy, but whatever. And it's only now, like, as an adult, where I'm, like, battle-hardened from various relationships and things, and dating, yeah. that I appreciate it so much more. Like, what's the line in the line? Breaking up is never easy to do. Yeah. But I have to go, right? And I'm like, yes, I get it now. Like, yeah. I felt this. Yeah. Which when I was like, you know, eight years old, listen to ABBA, Vinyl, whatever, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> also, like, you can sum up the plot into such a, although it's insane, in such a succinct <laughs> way. Whereas I can't really remember what happens in Across the Universe. It's just so messy. That's just one example of a jukebox musical. It's like you can see them gluing it all together, like trying to move it around the songs rather than leading the songs. Yeah, lend themselves to the plot, as you say, and move the plot along. I don't know, something about Mamma Mia just really works. I do agree about songs working better when they get earned. I mean, I, you know, I'm famously not a fan of musicals, but I can appreciate when it's working better than, than not working. Yeah. But let me tell you about the circumstances that I watched Mamma Mia. After successfully avoiding it for many, many years... All my friends were going to see Mamma Mia 2 together to the cinema. I was going to happen to not go. And because she was No, going, no, no, you're ecstatic to I was not go. very ecstatic. I could not hear enough about, like... So the number one thing was, like, I'm so excited to go. And me and Esther and Emily and Sarah, yeah, we're excited to go. And then the second thing I heard the most was, I'm so excited to not go. And that was I, you. I was. And it was to the point where it drove me crazy. It's like, I get it. You hate it. Okay? <laughs> anyway... After the movie, I met them, and they all came bouncing towards me, all happy, in some kind of ABBA euphoria. Mm-hmm. And Sarah said, I want to watch Mamma Mia now. <laughs> and I stupidly said something like, you could, but you have to get me real drunk. And she was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 no, no, no. You should have been like, you have to get me really drunk and buy me two pizzas and take yeah. me on a holiday tomorrow. So we go back to her place. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get drunk and then I'm going to watch Mamma Mia. But what actually happened was she was so excited about watching Mamma Mia that she just put it on straight away. And I get handed this glass of wine and I'm quite trying to guzzle it so I can like, cope with this movie. But then I spent the next hour and a half sending Snapchat shade and <laughs> bitching about it in the group chat. So it's kind of fun. There were a few moments that I appreciated that the music was in context. And that was okay. But most of the time, it was like the whole neighborhood singing and dancing to a song for some reason. Although there was one scene where the song ended. Even just kind of like awkwardly walked away and that was kind of fun. Do you, do you want to explain this music out of context thing for people who have not listened to the entire back catalog? All the way back in episode two of High Expectations, in exchange for Alan eating a glutinous meal in episode one, I watched... <laughs> Which I still mus- get shit for. <laughs> 
I watched the musical <laughs> Rent, and let me tell you, I savaged it. And I feel like quite quite succinctly, I found huge plot holes and I just destroyed them. Mm. My main complaint is that music in a movie, it's like a musical or whatever, people are singing and dancing, has to be in the context. Have to know that music is playing, and they have to have some kind of source for the instrument. There's some points in Mamma Mia where they're singing on stage. Totally cool. Or someone's playing a guitar. That's cool. They're having a dance party. That's cool. But if you're like strolling across a roof and whatever the hell song is playing, Mamma Mia, I think it was, and the whole neighborhood starts like choreographed dancing and like sing along to this music that you can't even hear, that's weird. Why does something have to be normal? Because it annoys me. <laughs> well, okay, listen. You are my girlfriend, so I'm not going to give you shit for that theory. But <laughs> we already had an entire party in which we just gave Jazlyn shit about this theory. <laughs> I think it goes back to what we were talking about before, about the place that songs have in a story. And I think that sort of literal approach is confusing the story of someone singing a song or doing a dance with how that song or dance moves the story along. Because if you think of like a montage, like every single boxing movie you've ever seen, like there's always a training montage, and it's this question of, okay, well, do you want to see real-time footage of someone foam rolling and weighing out protein shakes and getting eight hours sleep a night and all the stuff that you have to do, or do you want to see like a well-edited montage set to Quick an uplifting pace. song? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As like in yeah. Mamma Mia, do you want to see Christian Berensky's character getting a bit boozy and sexually harassing some poor kid in his gap year, or? <laughs> Do you want to see one of Mamma Mia's more originally problematic songs, Does Your Mother Know, sort of set to this sort of early MTV beach-style video <laughs> rendition? Yeah. And Mamma Mia too, you know, do you want to see some young guy with a misplaced sense of entitlement wear a girl down into sleeping with him using the worst chat-up line in history? Or do you want to see a brilliant rendition of Waterloo sung in a British accent set in an oversized Parisian restaurant. <laughs> you know, we're not actually saying that... Could it every... escape if they wanted to? <laughs> <laughs> Which suddenly, when put in the context of Mamma Mia, is extremely, you know, comedic. It's really funny. Yeah. He's so enthusiastic that she has to go along with it. She has no choice. Can we talk about that? Because that did bother me slightly. Oh, uh, partly because okay. I, I love the idea of Colin Firth as sort of... Sid Vicious type punk with the eyeliner. Fantastic. Mm. And this sort of... Because I like that story of, you know, you're sort of a punk and then you go on to become a banker or something. And said so this sort of, okay, you're a young man with awful schoolboy French having a bit of a time out before you're sort of shuffled into this role that you're destined for. A lot more pop punk than actual punk as well. Yeah. You know, I didn't enjoy as much. But also this sort of sense of basically just lobbing onto a girl you've just met and saying I love you and I've it would be my first time and I really want to sleep with you and I just found that oh, a little bit I mean I like to think that maybe there's a Harry Bright who just tried that line with every single girl he met and got away with it all summer but knowing you know what we know about him which is that he's actually gay just seems a little bit of a sad way to fizzle out yeah basically True. what I'm saying is that I loved Harry Bright in the first movie and young Harry did yeah. not meet my expectations. No. And also he has like this shamelessness and earnestness that I just don't... Oh, no, not earnestness, but I feel like Colin Firth does not like give out that vibe. And I think what's important for these like young actors portraying these basically legends, right? Like yeah. Meryl Streep, Christine Baranski, like 
all of them amazing actors like they've got to portray a, a spirit and like you say Lily James was the young Donna but I think the young Harry couldn't be more different from like our understanding of the old Harry you know it's like yeah you could have channeled a bit of Colin Firth there. Just, like, watch the, you know, Pride and Prejudice BBC version over and over again. Get your Mr. Darcy on. Like, come on. Yeah. And instead, it really felt like someone said, okay, well, you are the young version of a well-known, really successful British actor. Yeah. And he went, okay, gotcha. Hugh Grant. <laughs> You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I actually did enjoy his performance in and of itself. I thought he did have his own charm to him. There's something about, like, him being a hard-on-his-sleeve kind of person that I related to. But you're right. Like, it doesn't really portray the spirit of the older Harry. One thing I will say about the younger versions... Yeah. ...is that in terms of singing ability... Yeah! Thank God. <laughs> Can you imagine if they, like, scoured the streets to find, right, we need a young Pierce Brosnan with an Irish accent who sings just as badly? <laughs> The young Sam even have an Irish accent? Probably not. Probably so British. He's got an almost Irish accent. It's very, oh, very vague. I notice. Pierce Brosnan doesn't really have his Irish accent anymore, but when he sings, it comes back. Ah. <laughs> My mum said Pierce Brosnan is like an old Irishman singing at the pub. <laughs> That's the new thing, why it's different from the. Uh, stage version as well that the stage version doesn't have that song at the end that Pierce Brosnan sings that includes the line and we're not too old for sex (laughs) it's so cringe (laughs) that's right (laughs) here's a segment where they're both on my side what don't you like about the movies nothing they're perfect what don't you like about the sequel (laughs) okay what don't I like about the Mamma Mia movies it's really hard to explain to people why I love Mamma Mia. It's got a lot to do with movies that I love in general. So I like feel-good movies. I like musicals. I like a whole host of things. But anything campy, I'm like, I'm there. Like, I love campy shit. And Mamma Mia is just unabashedly camp. It's so over the top. To say a cliche, it knows what it is. And that, and it's hard for me to explain that. Because people are like, it's shit. Like, why do people like this? And it's like, because it embraces the shit. Like, it, it's just like, let's just get Sheer in because she's Sheer. But let's not really think about the fact that she's nowhere near old enough to be her grandmother, her mother. Who cares, you know? Who fucking cares? Let's let's also not worry about the fact that we can have her for, like, one day of shooting. Which is what Amanda pointed out. The Amanda's picture show a go-go. It's all poorly shot because it's Cher and she was only going to be there for a day. But, like, they do it. They pull that off. They go there. You know, like, they're like, well, what are we going to do? Might as well get somebody legendary and iconic to play the grandmother. It doesn't matter that it doesn't make any fucking sense. I've heard she's putting out a covers album. Yeah. So I guess it's like a (laughs) tie-in. Gonna Spotify the shit out of that. <laughs> but I was that kind of feeling Shira really embraces the Mamma Mia. Like I've seen I've mm. heard interviews with her in it and like she's been at all the premieres and stuff, looking real happy and chuffed with herself. Like it's cool. cool. Okay. It's cool. But for all that, I mean I, t- I take your point in that, you know, Mamma Mia does have it sort of Okay, we're just gonna wheel and share to do a you know, sort of Yeah, and hire actors that can't actually sing. Yeah, you know, so so we are <laughs> You know, we, we realise that we've got a lot of credit in the bank because we are dealing with the songs and lyrics of ABBA. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is fairly trashy. 
or mm-hmm. campy or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for me at least, they are quite emotionally powerful. Yes, yeah. And I think, you know, Mamma Mia 2 is partly about sort of flashbacks of how Meryl Streep graduates from Oxford, sleeps with three guys, and moves to a fictional Greek island and opens a hotel. Also, lol, but- graduates from Oxford, is valedictorian, and then they sing a song, which I can only assume is completely divorced from the reality that is the movie. At least she made out with <coughs> the teacher who sings partway through the song. Do you know how kissed a teacher? Yeah, yeah. And then one of the, oh, she must be the vice chancellor, just like joins in. Is that because they kissed? Is there like some sort of homoerotic subtext there? Does it just make no fucking sense? Have you thought about that bit? That's the weirdest bit in the whole film for me. <laughs> they're like, they're at a skull. Why don't we just throw in I kissed a teacher? Or was there thought there? <laughs> yeah, maybe it is a, a subtle um, nod to the, oh, what's the term of sort of lesbian while at college or something? Yeah, I don't know. You know that you sort of do your sexual experimentation <laughs> and, you know, satisfying sex life when you're studying and then you sort of... <laughs> Yeah, do you believe that the implication is she gets up, she does a speech, but she's like, lol, let's actually derail everything and start singing a song because this is a musical. So the song is I Kissed a Teacher and it's all about like, oh my god, I just went for it. I just kissed the teacher and it was the most amazing moment. And then the vice chancellor joins in later. So is that implication that they kissed? Yes. Well, you think? I'm going to go for yes. Because like, there's no, because there's she, no she explanation did, for Well, it. she does give him a peck on the cheek. So in that sense, it is sort of... Mwah. And I kissed the teacher. Yeah, okay. But yeah, I mean, if you want to think that, you that's know, what I, Don, that's Donna's, got a, Donna's got a lesbian backstory. That's <laughs> that's definitely what happened, because that's the funniest thing. <laughs> but yeah, apart from the fact that, you know, it's about Donna moving on from her uh, college area lesbianism and sleeping with three guys and moving to Greece. Mamma Mia 2 is, I think, about losing a parent and becoming a parent. And I think that's why it's had a surprisingly good critical reaction from what I can tell, because those are sort of the emotional big hitters of universal experience. Yeah. And like Mark Kermode, he's a sort of film critic, you know, sort of on Twitter saying, oh, I cried watching it and it's fantastic. And the first one, he absolutely panned. Everyone hated the first one. They were Ah. sort of going, oh, it's ABBA, it's a bit shit. If you like ABBA, you'll like it, but Mm -hmm. it's a musical that's a bit trashy. And I actually slightly prefer the first one, but I do wonder if maybe it's because... I mean, the reason that it didn't get such an... wasn't taken as seriously by the critics is because in terms of what it's about, for me, it's about that mother-daughter relationship. And you don't get that many films dedicated to that. No. Especially in terms of, like, like not a dysfunctional relationship, but just a, well, semi-dysfunctional sort of growing up. I don't know who my dad is, are you? (laughs) And then coming to terms, I don't need to know who my dad is, my mother's amazing. Yeah, but I also think... Will you give me away, etc. What's really important about it is it's about found families and about um, it takes a village, you know? Yeah. Like, her embracing the fact that she has three possible dads and is like, actually, it doesn't really matter who I'm biologically related to because I can have all these great influences in my life. And we see that in the second film as well. They all contribute to Sophie's life. They all love Sophie as as if she was their daughter. And I think, like, you know... Not just in movies, but, like, in the world, everything is kind of black and white. Like, you have a nuclear family. You know, everything's heteronormative. But, like, I kind of read... <laughs> I kind of read Mamma Mia as, like, a real subtle um, embracing of, like... Maybe not non-monogamy as such, but, like, yeah, the idea that it takes a village. Yeah. Yeah. Like, your parents aren't just two people. They can be your grandparents. They can be your godparents. They can be your aunts, uncles. You know, you've split up families. Like, that's incredibly relatable, too. Like, I have a family that 
a split up but then in one sense like you get to have more parents and that's kind of awesome more siblings Mm. you know yeah yeah and especially in terms of that mother-daughter relationship it sort of acknowledges that slight bittersweet element as well Mm. that you know you lavish all this you create someone and you lavish all this love on them and you know that part of that is going to be them moving on growing up and moving on Mm -hmm. that song in the first movie slipping through my fingers yeah which i think in the original sort of abba version is like benny or bjorn going oh my suspiciously young girlfriend with school bag in hand is is leaving (laughs) 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 you know reimagined into this very moving montage of getting sophie ready for her wedding and her mum's going to give her away and it's that sort of recognition of well okay you are moving on Mm -hmm. that's the bit where i always cry at mamma mia oh yeah because you know that's the point where it just makes me want to call my own mum yeah back in the uk and you know say i love you and i miss you heaps and although i'm on the side of the world you're still a huge presence in my day-to-day life because i'm just eternally grateful for all the love you've given and the sacrifices you've made for me and you've been an incredible role model for me growing up and even now and i can't really put that into words and so i never do call her you know, I never <laughs> <actually> said that. <laughs> but if you're listening oh she can, yeah, she can listen yeah, to this. You just it now. Oh, it's so sweet. The, the lengths I go to to get you one extra listener. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually went to my mail with my mum. That's when I first went. So that's nice. Did you turn around at that moment and say, Mum? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that specific moment. All I remember is that, like, I loved it. And I think I also love how I love the colours and I love the lighting. I did like that. Mm. But yeah, like the blue sea. And you just want to be on that island. Those are, I'm sorry, I should say that what you said was really nice, though. It was cool that you had like mm. you have like an emotional connection to it. Something that reminded me of is the winner takes it all is also very emotionally resonant because it's like all the men went off and were successful. Donna, as a single mother, had to raise Sophie yeah. on her own, and she had to like create the hotel on her own and make money on her own. She and she also never from what i can understand she never started a new relationship essentially it's like the most independent cool person ever and i think that's a big part of the first film like donna's spirit and her independence and when she gets with sam at the end it's not about like relying on somebody or being codependent it's about literally meeting as equals like so many years later like it's a lot about like timing matters I think what I don't like about the second film is that it derails that a little bit because suddenly you're like, wait, hold on. So I don't know, for some reason it changed the way I saw it. Like it made sense that she would be a single mother and independent when Meryl Streep was playing her in the first film that would go away to this island. But then when I saw Lily James do the role, I was like, why would you put that on yourself? What a burden. And also it seems like very unhealthy that she would spend all those years basically pining for Sam and I know that's not the implication of the first film but the second mm. film I kind of felt like that was the implication yeah it was kind of I've put on my dungarees this is my denim based chastity belt for the next 20 years yeah like I, maybe it's like when you see an older woman doing that you're like I can buy this because it's something I've seen in society but like seeing a young woman do it is like but why wouldn't you move the fuck on why would you sign up to being on this remote Greek island by yourself, raising a baby? Like, it's one thing to be a single mother when you have a support circle, but it's a whole other thing to be a single mother when you have... I mean, maybe she had that one Greek lady 
but essentially no one. She isolates herself. (laughs) I know, I know it's not real, but if you were like thinking about this story was real, the implications of that are like huge. But thinking about it, you know, back in the day, question what the day actually is. Yeah. But there, there must have been so many women who went through that, who got pregnant and had a baby and, and didn't you know, have a support circle and yeah, th- yeah their family would shun them and they wouldn't be welcome and they just had to get on in life the best they can mm. after um my parents separated my mother went back to the isle of man and basically told her brother that we were sort of coming to live with him and then she just spent all her energy building up her business and looking after us Oh my god, your mum is daughter, but it's on a different island. <laughs> your life is so mere. You are so me. <laughs> Except the gay version. Anyway. <laughs> I think it's the whole like being obsessed with Sam for that long. That bothers me. Like the implications of that. I don't like the idea that like the one that got away is something that bothers you into your fifties. Yeah. 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 That's something that really bothers me about the films. Mm. Making it for yourself, making your own business, raising your own kids, hugely admirable. And you're right. Like, relatable, because a lot of women have to go through that. Favorite song in each movie? Oh, shit, I can't do that off the top of my head. Mamma Mia in the first film, mm. because everyone starts singing and dancing, they like jump off a dog. And then there's a similar scene where it happens with, I think it's Dancing Queen, where they all come in with the boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are my favorite ones. And you? Well, Lay All Your Love On Me is my favourite ABBA song. And I like how they do it in the first movie, despite the fact that Dominic Cooper, I don't think, has been hired for his vocal ability. (laughs) (laughs) And in the second, purely because it's catchy, I'm going to go for Angel Eyes. One of Us. I think One of Us was was really good. Actually, that might be my favourite. Yeah. It's a tie between those two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How about yours, Jaslyn? (laughs) Uh, okay, my favourite song was the one that Meryl Streep and Christine, Christine Baranski did on the stage. Because that was in context. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Abba outfits. Mm-hmm. And the and other... And Julie Walters. Yes, her too. And the other song was the one that was playing in the disco. Voulez Vu. Possibly. Also because it's in context. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that is being musicals on trial, so... Knowing me, Jaslyn. Knowing you, Sarah and Alan. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hello, you beautiful bees. This is Gianna. This is Lydia. And this is Jen. <laughs> and we're from Boundary Issues. It's like high expectations, but with completely different people and about completely different things. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a whole different podcast. Yeah, but still a podcast. <gasps> <laughs> Similar in that way. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. (laughs) If you have any comments or questions, please send an email to highexpectationspodcast at gmail.com or leave a comment on a post. And you can find them on the Facebook and the Instagram at highexpectationspodcast or on Twitter at highexpodcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addict, Carrier Pigeon, RSS Feed, or wherever you enjoy podcasts. Have a great week. Bye. Who's the best queer eye guy? Anthony. Jonathan.
Obviously. Anthony. Jonathan has his own podcast. And people, like, listen to it. Even lots of people love Jonathan. Anthony has a collection of the national t-shirts. You're both he wrong. Also has it's, a clear, it's clearly tan. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their own favourite, eh? Hamish is his Karamo. Mm-hmm. 